Hi, I'm La. I'm the student ministry director at the Watertown campus, and I'm here to answer some of Google's questions about God. Can we believe that airplanes in the night sky? I always thought that they were shooting stars, but I've gone to Revere Beach and I can testify that they are airplanes coming and going. Can we believe in home pregnancy tests? From personal experience, definitely. That's how I found out I was having a baby boy. And now he's the cutest and chunkiest little monkey that exists. Can we believe how time flies? Definitely. I was just a baby the other day. Now I have my own little baby. Can we believe in our senses? Maybe. I definitely don't trust my hearing all the time or my sense of smell. Can we believe in God without Jesus? That's a hard one. Pastor Brian, take it away. Hey, everybody. Hey, I'd, I'd love to help you out here, but I'm on sabbatical. So I'm going to have to hand off to Pastor Ruthie and, and get back to, well, whatever it is pastors do on sabbatical. But seriously, thanks for the freedom to take a little time to get prayed up and ready for what's next. I know you're in good hands, and I'll see you in a month or so. God bless. Yeah, thanks, Brian. <laughs> Nothing like a little softball pitch to uh, take us into our final sermon of this Googling God series. Good morning, Grace Chapel. Wherever you are listening online or in our building here or in any of our campuses, we're glad that you joined us today. And yeah, this is, this, is a, um, this is a tough question. Can you believe in God without Jesus? So when I was given this question, guess what I decided to do? Google it. <laughs> exactly. Um, I was curious as to maybe what the questioner was going after or what other questions might pop up when I Googled that one. And so there were quite a few related questions. I picked three to share with you this morning. First one was, what religion is it when you only believe in God? Well, the answer that popped up was Unitarianism. If we who believe in a theology of God as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, makes us Trinitarians, then those who believe in one divine being, God, are Unitarian. Now, here in New England, we have loads of Unitarian churches, probably one in almost every one of our towns, and you probably have lots of friends that attend there. So I'd say go get coffee this week and compare notes and find out um, where you agree and where you, there, there are some interesting differences. Second, when Americans say they believe in God, what do they mean? Well, a 2018 Pew Research Center survey of more than 4,700 adults found that one-third of Americans, about 33%, say they do not believe in the God of the Bible. But they do believe there's some higher power or a spiritual force at work in the universe. A slim majority of Americans, 56%, say they 
do believe in God as described in the Bible. And one in 10 do not believe in any higher power or spiritual force. Third question, I believe in God, but why should I believe in Jesus? Now this is getting a little closer to what I think the thought was behind the original question. Can you believe in God without Jesus? Now for some of us, that seems like a very simple question to answer. And we're tempted just to give the quick no. But if we do, we run the risk of kind of ending the conversation right there. We draw battle lines, and there's not a whole lot of discussion that can happen. So to keep the conversation going without lines being drawn, I want to employ a tactic used by one of the greatest teachers of all times, Jesus Christ himself, who, when given a tough question, usually responded one of two ways, with a question or a story. So I'm going to do a little bit of both. If you believe in God without Jesus, my first question is, how did you come to know and understand who God is enough to believe in him? Now, some people, as we stated in that survey, believe that there is a higher power at work in the universe. Others believe there must be a God that got all this started. And still others believe in a God defined by certain religious thoughts or traditions. Two of the other major world religions, Judaism and Islam, both believe in the God of Abraham as known in the Old Testament. So I guess you could say we're cousins since we trace our roots back to Father Abraham. Another person who was known for believing in God but not believing in Jesus was a man named Saul. He lived in the first century AD. He was a religious zealot, a persecutor of the early followers of Jesus. He believed in God devoutly, but not Jesus. Somehow, something changed. He discovered there was something missing. And Paul told his story to Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. Paul said, Jesus revealed himself in a flash of light and an audible voice. The Holy Spirit then transformed him from persecutor to preacher, from skeptic to scribe, from a religious man named Saul to a follower of Jesus named Paul, sending him to proclaim the good news of Jesus to Jew and Gentile alike. Now, as for knowing the God of the Bible without believing in or knowing Jesus, Paul writes to the Christians in Rome about what we call general revelation. He describes it this way in chapter one of the book of Romans. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So it's true, people can have a sense of who God is without considering who Jesus is. We even have a long list of Old Testament men and women who God declared as faithful in Hebrews chapter 11. Everyone on that list lived and died before the birth of Christ. But even in this list, something tells us, we see something about God beyond what we learn in general revelation. What we see is that the God of the Bible is a personal God. I invite you to think of the story of God as a a grand narrative 
or as a drama, a play in two acts. In this first act of the drama of God, we find God in relationship with specific people throughout time. He sought out relationships with Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, Joseph, even Rahab. And the list goes on. These were individual and significant relationships with saints of the faith, none of whom knew Jesus. So can you believe in God without Jesus? In this case, I guess we can say yes, but even for these Old Testament saints, there was something missing, just like for Paul. And in the final verse of this chapter, chapter 11 in Hebrews, the author writes these words. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God had planned something better. Something, someone was promised. It's clear throughout the Old Testament scriptures that a second act was coming. So it brings me to my second question. If you believe in God without Jesus, and God has promised something better is coming, something better for you, wouldn't you just be a little curious to explore what that something better might be? Imagine for a moment that you're sitting in a theater. You're waiting for the play to begin. You sit in your seat, the curtain is down, the lights flicker, you know it's about to start, and you begin to wonder, what will you see? You're curious. Now, you can sit there and try to guess what's behind the curtain. You could resign yourself to the fact there's no way for me to ever know what's behind the curtain. You could even say, I don't think there's anything behind the curtain. In which case, I would say, why'd you buy the tickets? <laughs> or you wait for that moment when the lights go all the way down and the curtain is either pulled back or someone comes from behind the curtain, a song begins, the story unfolds, and the mystery of what is behind the curtain is revealed. Now, I love to go to a play, especially a musical. When we were living in eastern Pennsylvania, we were just a little over an hour from Manhattan, and some friends had invited me to go in for a matinee one day during the middle of the week, because on Wednesdays, some of the Broadway shows are half price. And so you can go into Times Square and see everything listed up on the board. So as we were driving in, we were talking about what we might want to see. Several of us, this was about 15 to 18 years ago, we really wanted to see Lion King. And we thought, there's probably no chance that's going to be on the half-price board. So we parked at Port Authority, we started walking to Times Square, and as we were walking, wouldn't you know, we would walk right past the theater where the Lion King was. We kind of paused, and somebody said, let's just go see. So we went inside, and we saw the ticket agent said, any chance you have tickets available for this afternoon? Yeah, I got some fifth row orchestra. Oh, how much? $100 a piece. Oh, that was almost 20 years ago, guys. Beyond our budget. We just, we walked out of there so dejected, and we, you know, scuffled our way over to Times Square. We're standing there looking at the half-price board. Nothing's really popping out at anybody. Nobody says anything. And then I blurted out, I can go without dinner. <laughs> and they said, 
us too. Let's go. We ran back to the other theater. The guy just burst out laughing when he saw us come in. We slapped down our credit cards and we got those fifth row orchestra seats. So we were sitting there in our seats, and the lights go down. We're staring at the curtain. No one knew what was going to happen. None of us had been to it before. The curtain rose. The scenery was dark, and one character emerges from the darkness and begins to sing this haunting, beautiful song in an African dialect. And then it's like the sun begins to rise at the back of the stage, and more voices join in the songs. And then, to our astonishment, these incredible animal figures begin to emerge, both on the stage and down the aisles of the theater, and right past our row. We were not yet five minutes into the theater, into the play, and then we looked at each other and went, "This is so worth it." I could never have imagined, in my wildest dreams, what my eyes would see or what my ears would hear when that curtain rose and the song began. My heart was like beating out of my chest. I was smiling and weeping at the same time. It was that beautiful. Friends, God does not want us sitting in the dark, wondering what's behind the curtain. God's plan from the very beginning was to reveal Himself to the world in a real and tangible way, not just to a few select men and women. And I believe that when Jesus Christ entered the world stage, this was the epic moment when the curtain rose on the greatest drama of humankind. This was the beginning of the second act in the great narrative of God. The disciple John. Who was the youngest of the twelve who were apprenticed to Jesus, described it this way in his gospel: "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life." And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God, has made Him known. Now, when I was young, my dad used to love to listen to Paul Harvey on the radio. Some of you are chuckling because you've heard him. He always had the rest of the story. He was a broadcaster, storyteller, and commentator for ABC for years, and one of his most famous stories. Often told at Christmas time, it's called the Man and the Birds. Now I'm no Paul Harvey, but I'll give it a try. The man to whom I'm going to introduce you is not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man, generous to his family, upright in his dealings with others. But he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff. That the churches often proclaimed at Christmas time. 
It didn't make sense, and he was too honest to pretend. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story. God coming to earth as a man? I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife, but I am not coming with you to church on Christmas Eve this year. He thought, I'd just be a hypocrite. I'd much rather just stay home, and I'll wait up for you for when you get back. And so the family went to the midnight service, and he stayed. Shortly after the family car drove away, the snow began to fall. He walked over to the window and watched as the flurries started getting heavier and heavier. And then he walked back to his fireplace chair and picked up his newspaper, began to read. A few minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound. Then another, then another, something like a thump or thud. It sounded almost as if somebody was throwing snowballs at his window. So he got up and went to the front door to investigate, and he opened the door and he discovered this flock of birds shivering in the cold snow. They'd been caught in the storm, and in their desperate search to find shelter, they'd actually been flying right into his large landscape window toward the firelight. Well, he looked down and he said, thought to himself, I can't just let these poor creatures shiver here in the cold. The barn, the barn where his children stable their pony, that's a warm shelter. I'll go open the barn, maybe they'll go in. So he closed the door and he goes in, he puts on his coat and his galoshes and he tromps through the deepening snow toward the barn. He opens the doors wide and turns on the light, but the birds did not come in. Maybe they're hungry. So he hurries back to the house and grabs some breadcrumbs. And he comes back and he starts scattering the breadcrumbs along the snow, making a trail that leads right to those yellow-lighted, wide-open doors to the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. They just continued to flap helplessly in the snow. He tried to catch them. He tried to shoo them by walking all around them and waving his arms, but that only made them scatter even further and never closer to the barn. Then he realized, I think they're afraid of me. To them, I must seem like a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could convince them that they can trust me. If only I could help them see that I don't want to give them harm, I want to give them help. But how? Any move he made frightened them or confused them. They would not follow him. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. If only I could become a bird, he thought to himself. Then I could mingle among them and speak their language and I could tell them there's nothing to be afraid of and I could lead them into the safety of the warm barn. But to do so, I'd have to become one of them so that they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring in the distance. The sound reached his ears over the sound of the snowstorm. 
He stood there listening to those bells. Adeste fidelis, O come all ye faithful. The bells were pealing out the glad tidings of Christmas. And he fell to his knees in the snow. The one and only Son, who is himself God, has made him known. We believe that God has chose to become one of us, to reveal himself to humankind. God pulled back the curtain and revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the second act of the drama begins. What seemed invisible throughout the Old Testament, throughout the first act, was now visible. And so this brings me to my third question. If you believe in God without Jesus, have you done your due diligence Have you taken a serious look at who Jesus was and is? I want to show you some of the snapshots of this person that we believe is the something better, the the promise which God told the prophets about throughout the first act and now reveals in the second act. To do so, I invite you to open your Bibles if you brought one or pull it up on your app and go to the Gospel of Mark. Mark was not one of the original 12 disciples, but scholars believe he was the cousin of Barnabas, who was an associate of both Peter and Paul. And after Peter had gotten arrested and dragged off to Rome, they believe, what is believed is that Mark went to Rome to be with Peter and to write down Peter's story. What we have in the Gospel of Mark is Peter's firsthand eyewitness account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, in chapters 1 through 5, Jesus is baptized. He calls his first disciples fishermen who left their nets, left their livelihood, even left their families for a time in order to follow Jesus. There was something about this man that drew people to him. Jesus invites people to follow him. He challenges those who thought they had authority and power by asking, well, which is easier, to forgive sins or to tell this man to walk? And to prove who he was, Jesus did both. Jesus forgives sins, and he heals the body. On his way to healing a dying little girl, a woman long stricken with a bleeding disorder is instantly healed by reaching out and touching his cloak Jesus felt the power leave him. He turned and acknowledged her in front of everyone, calling her daughter. Your faith has healed you. He then resumes his journey to the home of the dying girl when someone comes and says, don't waste your time, she's dead. Jesus assures the grieving father, don't worry, she's only sleeping. Jesus perseveres. He goes to the home of this little girl, goes into her room and raises her from the dead. Jesus is full of compassion for men, for women, and for children. In chapters 6 to 10, we continue to see Jesus apprenticing his disciples, working miracles, caring for the hungry, challenging the religious status quo, having compassion on a Gentile woman and her daughter, healing the deaf, the blind, the demon-possessed, all the while teaching all those who were listening about his impending suffering, the way of the cross. He also teaches them about the priority of children and the dangers of being rich. 
Jesus is not afraid to speak the truth. He works tirelessly for the marginalized and the overlooked. In chapters 11 to 15, Jesus enters Jerusalem and an impromptu parade ensues. The religious leaders step up their objections to Jesus and his followers, but Jesus continues teaching in parables, now including warnings of the consequences if the one whom God has sent is rejected. He summarizes all of the commandments in a call to love God and love others. And then he's anointed in Bethany, celebrates the Passover with his disciples for the last time, taking the bread, this is my body, taking the cup, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the sins of many. The time of prayer in Gethsemane, the arrest, the trial before the religious leaders, denied by Peter, sentenced by Pilate, flogged, mocked, crucified, buried. Jesus gave his life. He laid it down for those he loved. The curtain falls, and the second act of the drama of God comes to an end. Friends, everything that I have highlighted here, the history books will confirm. Yet Mark gives us one more chapter. Because on the third morning, as light was beginning to pierce the darkness, women came to the tomb to prepare, finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. Yet the tomb was empty. Jesus had risen. No one had anticipated there was a third act. God had not only pulled back the curtain to reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ, but he tore the actual curtain in the temple from top to bottom so that those who are broken and hurting no longer need an intermediary, no longer are blocked from a holy and a loving God. Which leads me to my last question. Would you like to get to know this man who invites people to follow him, who forgives and heals, who's filled with compassion for men and women and children? Would you like to follow someone who always speaks the truth and works tirelessly for the marginalized and the overlooked? Are you ready to consider that Jesus laid down his life for you so that you could understand and know and believe in God more deeply and personally? Would you like to believe in God? with Jesus? If so, you can stop Googling and begin to find real answers today. The drama of God continues, and many of us here have found our place in the story. But others of you, men and women, young and old, students and even children, may be listening in this moment, whether here in the courtyard, in Foxborough or Watertown or East Lexington or Wilmington or Amherst or anywhere you are online, is the Holy Spirit nudging you to stop being a spectator, to go deeper with God than just believing in that 
higher power or spiritual force. Friends, Act 3 has begun and we all have a part to play with Jesus, the Son of God, who became one of us so that he could lead us out of the cold and the darkness into the warmth of his love and his light. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving God, we thank you that no question is too hard to bring before you. God, we thank you that you went to such great lengths to reveal yourself to the world. Lord Jesus, you were and are the Word, the one who was in the beginning with God and is God, and the one who is the light that shines in the darkness. You became flesh and lived among us. No one had ever seen God but you, the one and only Son, who is God and is in closest relationship with the Father. You have made him known. Now send your Holy Spirit upon all those who hear my voice. Touch the hearts who are longing to be forgiven, who wish to be made whole, who feel broken and need your healing, who feel lost and need direction. Reveal yourself, Lord Jesus, to those who've been trying to believe in God without you. And may this be the day they choose to respond to your gracious invitation to follow you. We pray this together in your strong, loving, forgiving, and compassionate name. Amen.